0: Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, uh, if you will make your way to two places, first to Genesis 1, and then stick your finger there, we're going to start in Genesis 1, but stick your finger there, we're going to go all the way over to Isaiah 43. So when you get to Genesis 1, find it, and then turn all the way to Isaiah 43. And while you're doing that, this morning we're actually going to, I'm going to walk through the fourth question. The one that we had on the screen, there's two modes for the New City Catechism. One is called the children's mode, which is just really, it's a simpler mode. It's not, you know, because adults can't learn the the adult mode. It's just, you know, it's a simpler mode. So my understanding is the plan is to go through this year through the children's mode to learn the simple version. And then next year we'll go even further and learn the, the difficult. I could be wrong on that. I don't know. Paul's not here, so I can say whatever I want, right? So... Uh, <laughs> But the point is is that what we're going to do today is we're going to walk through the answer for the adult question we've had them in the bulletin but again we don't have one this this uh this week so i'll give you the answer If you want to write it down that's fine we're going to walk through each aspect today so uh, the question again is how and why did god create us and the answer from the adult version of, is god created us male and female in his own image to know him to love him to live with him and to glorify him and it is right that we all, that we who are created by God should live to his glory. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about how and why God created us. Um, so real quick, and I don't think we have all these on the screen. I didn't ask him to put them up there. So just I just want to see. Actually, I don't want them up there because I want to see how much you remember, right, from the last three weeks. So week number one, the question was, what is our only hope in life and death? Correct. Yeah, that we are not our own but we belong to God our only hope in life and death is that we are not our own but we belong to God we are God's completely, he is our only hope in life and death alright, second question what, not who, but what is God yes he is the creator of everyone and everything right, and then lastly from last week, we read it this morning how many persons are there in God right Right, there are three persons in one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And uh, if you remember from Paul's sermon last week, he really broke down what that meant. If you're able to be here on Wednesday night, we went into even further detail about the doctrine of the Trinity, about that God exists. God is one. Deuteronomy six four tells us that our, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. But God does exist and has revealed Himself in three separate persons. They are equal in stature and power, but they are separate. There's unity, but there's Three separate persons as well. So there's, this isn't us worshiping three gods. We worship one God who has revealed Himself in three different persons, and Scripture testifies to this. And we talked about that last week. So today, what we're going to do, as we consider those questions, it's important for us to consider them in li- today's question in light of those other three, right? Like that's why they, these questions build on each other. Like we're not just randomly asking you questions on Christian doctrine. This is this is stuff that's going to build on one another. So we better understand not only who God is, but who we are in god and and really just who are what our faith is about so it's important to understand the answer to today's question in light of the other three we know that god is our only hope in life and death we know that god is the creator of everyone and everything and we know that god exists in three persons the father the son and the spirit and a good grasp of this helps us to understand what went into the whole creation of mankind right we know that from our main text this morning i'm going to read it real quick uh, we're going to take a break. Sorry, I uh, I meant to read this before I started all my points, and I totally forgot. So so let me let me read it for us real quick. We're we'll going to start in verse twenty six, and we will go through the rest of chapter one. So I'm reading out of the ESV. So if it reads a little different than what you got, that's why. But Genesis 1, 26 says, and then God said, "Let us make man in our image, and after our likeness." And let us make him have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all earth and over the creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. And God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with the seed in it is its fruit, and you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and morning the sixth day. So what we know from our main text this morning is not only did God create not only did the whole Trinity take part in creating the world, we learned about that when we talked about the question number two, right? God created everyone and everything. Genesis 1, 1 and 2 really tells us that the whole Trinity is involved in creating everything, right? We know from Colossians that all things were made by him, Christ, through him, Christ, and for him, Christ. All things were made by God, the whole God, the whole Godhead of the Trinity. And so not only did the Trinity take part in creating the world, but in creating mankind as well. And we read that again in verse 26. He says, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. This isn't God talking to the angels. Some people have said uh, throughout history that this is, especially this is a big medieval mindset, right? Through the Middle Ages and stuff. But that God conversed with the other heavenly beings. The angels aren't on the same playing field as the Godhead is. So we know that that definitely isn't the case. I mean, don't... So we know that what God did is he took counsel within himself. He sat down with the the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, sat together and said, you know what, let's make man in our image and after our likeness. So there's something big and major in that. And really, being made in the image of God says something deep about who we are at the core. We are not like any other earthly creature that has been made. The special dignity of being human is that men and women, as men and women, we may reflect and reproduce at our own creaturely level the holy ways of God. We've been called to a certain life as children of God, as creatures of God. And in that way, we reproduce in a similar way some of the things that God has, right? We, we reproduce. We make something in our image. We don't make them out of the dust of the ground. We do it another way, but we, may, you know, we have children. We create in that regard. Uh, we care for the things that we have. Uh, the scope of God's image in humanity is not specified in these verses, but the context of the whole passage helps us to define it. So as we've studied through the catechism up to this point, and through the first part of Genesis, what it does is it sets forth a God who is personal, who is rational, creative, who rules over the world that he has made, and is morally admirable. So logically, if we take this, just even just from a logical perspective, logically God's image should reflect those qualities, right? I mean, we are personal, right? We have conversations. I mean, I spoke to a few of you this morning before church started. you know, people walked around, said, "Hi, want We're personal. God is personal. He wants to know us. He, he's relatable in that way. He's also rational. He's creative. Similar. You know, we're some of us more than others, but you know, we're we're rational creatures, right? We have some kind of, you know, rational thought to our to our but we're creative too. People make music. They make art. They well, drawing is art, but you know what I mean. Like we're we're creative as well. Not only in our reproduction, but you know, in in the art that we make, we're creative. We're created beings. But also, if we read on, you know, in verses uh, 28 and 30, he gives man jurisdiction over the world. So in a similar way to God, God rules over the world he has made. Well, we have been made basically as caretakers of that world. He tells us, you know, rule over, have dominion over it, rule over it. So we have a job. We rule like God rules over it. And also, again, some more than others, God is morally admirable. Humans, again, some more than others, are, for the most part, morally admirable. We have, we, have, we have an issue, and it's called the fall, which we will get to in the catechism. And I'll talk about it a little bit this morning. But the point is, is that as his creatures, we should obviously reflect these things as well. And in, in Ephesians, and we talk about this some, but... Our relationship to God is like a marriage, right? We, we hear this all throughout the New Testament. Um, we're meant and made to know Him intimately. So what we're going to do is we're going to break down these, these qualities this morning, or these, these aspects of this answer. All right, so first, we're created in the image of God to know Him. There's a few passages that we can look at. Being made in His image, uh, we, we were made to know Him. Being made in His image so that we could know Him, our God is a God who wishes to be known david writes in psalm 100 verse 3 he says know that the lord he is god it is he who made us and we are his we are his people and the sheep of his pasture he writes again in psalm 138 3 he says on the day i called you answered me and you made me bold with strength in my soul this isn't a god that hides himself from us right i mean now david does write it sometimes you know why have you hidden your face from me but we know that god is a god who wants to be known jesus in his high priestly prayer in john 17 he says he's praying to the father and he says in verse 3 he says this is the this is eternal life that they may know you the only true god and in jesus christ whom you have sent so and jesus goes on to say you know we know this that the only way that we can come to know god the father is through jesus christ himself so god is not only relational and personal but he, but god the son took on flesh and became man so that we could know god the father does that make sense Secondly, we are made and created in the image of God, not only to know him, but to love him. So being made, part of being made in his image, also means that we were made to love God. Jesus himself tells us that the first and greatest commandment is that we should love the Lord our God with all of our hearts, souls, and minds. He says this in Matthew 23:37, but he's actually preaching out of Deuteronomy, because if you read most of what Jesus actually references from the Old Testament as Deuteronomy, he preaches that thing like crazy. Uh, so I would recommend Deuteronomy. It's really not as scary as Leviticus. Go read Deuteronomy. <laughs> Um, but we should first in, the first and greatest commandment is that we should love the Lord our God secondly Jesus also tells us in John fourteen twenty one that if we love him we will keep his commandments so we are to love if we love Christ by loving Christ we keep his commandments and what's really cool is that he actually goes on and he says that if we love him and keep his commandments then we will be loved by the Father so it's not like and that doesn't mean that this is a works-based salvation. It's just the fact that when we love God, we keep his commandments, and he loves us for doing that. It's the same way that—and I'm not a parent, but I would assume that the parents in these in this room would say, when your children do what you ask, you're at least a little happier that they do it the first or second time you ask and not— or they do it of their own accord, which is probably rarer than most. I know it was for me when I was a kid. But you're glad when they keep your commandments and they don't beat up their sibling, right? I mean, it's— it, that makes you happy. Now you don't love them any less if they do, but you might want to knock them around a little bit, but you know you're happy when your children keep your commands or your rules that you set forth. It's the same way. We, we have a personal father. Thirdly, we were created in the image of God to live with Him. This is what's really amazing to me because, and this is really kind of almost in a lot of ways how it ties in with a marriage even more, is that being created in God's image means that we were created to live with Him. So one of the natural reactions to getting to know someone and falling in love with with them is that you want to spend as much time as you can with them, right? I mean, I know I did. That's why I got married. You know, I I love my wife. I got to know her well, but I wanted to spend more time with her than, you know, the few dates we went on every week or whatever else, or a few times we'd sit down and watch through whatever sci-fi show we were working on that week, right? Because that was most of our dates. But the best way to be around someone on a consistent basis is to live with them. So what we do is, you know, this is one of the reasons we get married. You know, we fall in love, we get to know somebody, but we want to be with them even more. So we marry them and we move in with them. We live with them. You're supposed to live with your spouse. That's kind of the point. Um, But when we fall in love with them, we get to know them. We know what makes them tick, what they like, what they hate. Um, Living with them helps us to do that. Prior to marriage and moving in with someone, we can only know them so much. I mean, there's only so far you can go. You know, even if even if your significant other lives by themselves in an apartment or whatever else, which was our case, Sharon had her own place. Um, you know, we'd make dinner and then sit down and watch a movie or whatever, and then I'd go home. You know, there's only so much I can know about her by being with her a couple hours in her home. So, one of the way, like newly married couples, and if you're married in here, you know, those first few years of getting married, you really learn how people are in their comfort zone, right? You learn that they may like, get warmer than you do, or they're a little messier than you are, or, these are all me, right? I like it, actually I like it cooler, but I'm a little messier. But the point is, is that, you know, you get to know people a little bit more. You get to know who hogs all the covers, which is not me. Um, <laughs> she's in the back, so you can't uh, you can't see the faces I'm getting. But, you know, we only learn these things by living with people, or by living, like, and it could be the same with roommates, but it's a little different when it's an intimate relationship with the spouse, right? So, kind of in a similar way, though, God made us to live with him. Maybe he doesn't, you know, Maybe we don't share a bed with him. But, you know, the point is, is that our lives should be so wrapped up in knowing and loving God that we want to share every aspect of our lives with him. He should be in our homes. Right? This is why, like, I know we haven't done one here, and I've talked to Paul about it, and I, this isn't rag right on him. We just forget because, you know, things go on. But I've, been, I've had friends that have done house blessings when they moved into a new home. And it's great because what you do is you go through every room of the house and you pray for each room and you pray for the home. And really what you're doing is you're inviting God to live in your home. Now, you do get together with your family and you study and you pray and you read the scriptures or you bless the food. But even more so than that is you're intentionally making that home a place of refuge to worship and to spend time with the Lord. And so... God should be in every aspect of our lives, and what we watch, what we eat, what we talk about, what we pray about, what we drive, I mean, everything. It, just, it seems weird for us in our culture, but God should be in every part of it. That's part of living with somebody. I wouldn't go buy a new car without talking to Sharon about it, partly because she knows more about our finances than I do, but you know, the other part is, too, though, is that I'm not going to drive home in a new car and then not have let my wife know I might be sleeping in the new car for a while, right? So, so you, you have that kind of relationship. One of the most beautiful pictures of this is actually right after the fall in Genesis 3. If you continue reading on and you've never read it before, what you see is that Adam and Eve sin, right? They're they're tricked by the devil. Adam just lets it happen because, you know, he's a bum, right? I mean, he just what it happens. They eat the fruit, they come to realize what they are. They realize that they're naked, they've eaten the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It's 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 a bad deal. But what happens is right afterwards, they hide themselves from God because God what seems like is a fairly routine thing, God comes in the cool of the day to walk with them and to talk with them and to get to know them. And you kind of get this idea that this isn't an uncommon thing. I mean, God knew it was going to happen. He wasn't surprised. But it's almost like a regularly regularly scheduled date almost. You know, I'm going to show up at this time of day. We're going to hang out for a while. One, that'd be really cool, by the way, if you could do that now. I mean, you can, but not in that similar way. But, But you get the idea that this was a daily occurrence for Adam and Eve. They'd walk with God. They'd pray with Him. They'd laugh with Him. They'd cut up. You know, they'd, I don't know what they would joke about. You know, maybe they'd watch the squirrels play because squirrels are funny to watch play, right? Uh, you know, but you get the idea that they do this on occasion because they lived with Him on a regular basis. And we were made to live with God on this kind of intimate level. fourth aspect of that is to glorify him. We were created in God's image to glorify him. And this is where we're actually gonna spend the rest of our time this morning. Um, and this is really honestly the most important part of why we were created. Um, another catechism that you can work through, once you're done with this especially, is called the Westminster Catechism of Faith. Uh, it's great, it begins with the question It says, what is the chief end of man? To which the answer is to glorify God and and to enjoy Him forever. That's one of the first questions of that catechism. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's what our end is. That's what our whole purpose is. Have you ever asked that question yourself? I mean, I know most of us do in our angsty teen years, right? We ask that question of, why why was I made? What am I here for? What's my purpose? Well, here's your purpose, guys. Your purpose is to glorify God with all of your life, right? With all your scars, your disabilities, your issues, your nuances, your likes, your dislikes, your gifts, your abilities, your skills, your knowledge, everything, every single aspect of our lives is meant to glorify God. If you are a child of God, if you call Christ your Savior and Lord, your chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him. That's what your whole purpose is. Now, it builds off of that, right? Like, some of us are called to be pastors and teachers. Some of us are called to be plumbers and garbage men. Some of us are called to be financial advisors. We have different callings and vocations in life. But your chief end, the main thing, the whole point of you being here, is not your job. It's to glorify the Lord God. And that's what what this whole point of this question is about. right? That's why we were created. So let's look at it a little quick. If you've got your finger in Isaiah 43, we're going to read the first seven verses. And we're just going to look at this. And really what it does is this helps us to understand our purpose in glorifying God. He writes, "But now thus says the Lord, who created you, O Jacob; He who formed you, O Israel. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you; and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and I, and the flame, shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush, and and Seba." seba in exchange for you because you are precious in my eyes and honored and i love you i give men in return for you peoples in exchange for your life fear not for i am with you i will be your offspring in the east and from the west i will gather you up and i will say to the north give up and to the south do not withhold bringing my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth everyone who is called by my name whom i created for my glory and whom i formed and made So, the whole purpose here is that this is the promise that God obviously gives to Israel, but he gives to us as well, right? Because we are part of the new Israel as as the church. So, he created us for his glory. This is scriptural testimony to the fact that he created us for his glory. Paul even tells us in 1 Corinthians 10.31, he says, Whether we eat or drink, whatever we do, do it all for the glory of God. Everything we do should be for the glory of God. We were made for his glory, so do everything for his glory. Not sin, obviously. You're not going to be glorifying God if you're you know, doing something sinful because we shouldn't sin that grace may abound, right? We talked about that a little bit in Sunday school this morning. point is, is we were made for the glory of God and let that be what you rest in as much as anything else. Why am I here? Why, why are things so messed up and crazy? Why can I not move to the career I want? Because Well, you know what? Right now you're made for the glory of God. That's what you've always been made for. Hold on to that and continue moving forward. So, what does it mean to glorify God? You know, as I was prepping for this morning, I, I did a little reading, and actually, one of the commentaries—and this doesn't really come from that—but one of the commentaries on the app is from Pastor John Piper. For those that don't know him, he's a pastor of I think it's Bethlehem Baptist Church. Um, it's not in Chicago; I forget where he's at. But he's—he's he's a pretty big name. If you know, he's got—he's got quite a few books. He's been a pastor for a while. Um, but he puts it—he likens it really to the word magnify, right? He uses two words really. He says. He says, you know, if we try if we try to like and glorify God to beautifying God, that's a little wrong because what we do when we beautify something is we try to make something look as beautiful as it can. But the point behind that is that, or the reason that's wrong is that we can't make God look beautiful because he is beautiful, right? So when we try to beautify God, this isn't something for him, this is really for us. So magnify is a little bit different, and he uses it really in two ways. He says, he has to clarify it. He says, you know, and how we magnify an object. You know, if, you're, if you've ever, whether you've been in a chemistry class or you work in a lab, you've probably used a microscope at least once in your life or a magnifying glass to make something bigger, right? You get these small objects that you, we can't see and we make them bigger so we can properly look for them. But if we try to magnify God in that way, it, he, he calls it wickedness. He says, you know, this, that's not the case. God isn't the small thing that we have to blow up so we better understand it. He likens it more to using a telescope to look at the night sky. He says, "He says we we see something so unimaginably great that we want to look at it as it really is. So that's why we use the telescope, right? You go out at, at night, you try to get away from light pollution from cities or whatever else, and you look at the planets, or you look at you look at the stars, you look at the moon, and you see it for what it really is. This isn't blowing up something small. This is making something giant to a point where we can understand its magnificence. Um, you know." Have you ever looked at some of the pictures that Hubble takes? Hubble takes some phenomenal photos. I mean, I know it's not a camera, but, you know, it's it's a big telescope. It's taking pictures of of galaxies. You know, we're looking at these. I always just get awed. I know there's some in here that are probably in the same boat as me when they come to, you know, space stuff because it's just so cool. But you look at these galaxies and you realize with the way that light travels, most of those galaxies probably don't even exist anymore because it took so long for the light to get to Hubble. And you realize all of these things are out here. God made every single one of them. And you just, you're in awe of them. And it's the same way with God. We, we magnify God in the manner in which we are awestruck like we would when we look through a telescope to look at creation. We don't worship creation, but we, we can see God through it. Paul tells us that in the first couple of chapters of Romans, right? So, we get awestruck when we look through a telescope. We should get awestruck when we look at God and how He really is. So when we look at the universe and how it really is, we should look at God and how He really is. That's what he means by magnifying. God created us and called us to make him look like what he truly is. That is that is what is meant to be created in the image of God. We are meant to image forth into the world what God really is. God created us for this, to live our lives in a way that makes him look more like the greatness and the beauty and the infinite worth that he really is. So this is not these aren't aspects that we're giving to God. We're not giving him beauty and worth, but we're imaging forth it to the world, we're showing the world that our God is a God that has these aspects, does that make sense? So really what we should do, we should want to think and live and act and speak in such a way that we draw attention to the many perfections of God. And we should be totally and completely satisfied in God's perfections. And really, again, and this is hard for us, especially in our culture, with the way that we're geared to think about things and we're geared to think about how we live but when people see us completely satisfied in God's perfections over money, over fame, over the sexualized culture that we have, I mean, the culture tells us that sex is something to uphold, right? When, when the world sees us satisfied in God over all of the things that culture teaches us to be satisfied in, they will see that he is actually our ultimate treasure. You know, not only Hollywood, but, you know, Wall Street, other places tell us that money and fame and sex are where a satisfying life comes from. That's definitely not the case and especially not if you're a believer in Christ. Your satisfaction comes to the glory of God, and it comes from God. So this is what it means to glorify God and be created in His image. We live in such a way that others see that He is our delight, not everything else, and we hope pray that they want to know more about Him, or at the very least that it shines forth and images forth so much the glory of God that when we share that, this isn't a surprise. You know, I think I've shared this story. I know I think I've shared it, especially in Sunday school, but... And this, um, it was written by one of the professors of mine. But he he said um, a friend of his was leaving a job uh, because I think he got a job in like ministry or something. And his he was telling his boss about it. And his boss got super excited. He said, "Oh, that's great! I'm a Christian too." <laughs> and the guy said, "He said really? I didn't realize that because you're one of the many reasons why I'm leaving this job because." Or I've held off on Christianity for so long because you're such a jerk that you were turning me off to the Lord. The point is, is that guy wasn't living to the glory of God to the point that his support, you know, his support, his employee knew that he was a Christian. So when you start sharing Christ with others, they need to know that you are obviously a Christian even beforehand. Don't, don't be out doing crazy stuff and then be like, oh, you know what? I love Jesus. Man, I just saw you... Do an X ones I'm not going to list anything, right? Don't get any ideas, right? But I'm not going to list anything. But the point is is that we can't worship God on Sundays and expect to go out and, and evangelize Monday through Saturday but also spend that same time beating people up, living a life that is, you know, I'm, again, I'm not trying to list anything out because there's so many things, right? But the point is, is we can't evangelize and sin at the same time and expect for there to be fruit from that. So lastly, real quick, what's the application? Um, I know I kind of blew through this. And, and if you know, you know, I know this is a little different for sermon times and stuff, but if you have any questions, what I'll do when I'm done is just pause for a moment and we'll talk about it real quick. But um, Or we can talk about it afterwards after we pray. But just a real quick application. So how do, we do, how do we glorify God? Well, obviously, the place that we glorify God the most is clearly shown in the gospel of Christ, right? So Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, he says, The God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. So, when we're out sharing the gospel, the first obvious thing to tell to tell people, especially when you're when you're uh, sharing with somebody who has no clue, if they don't believe automatically, that's not your fault, man. That's honestly that's Satan blinding the minds of people that don't know the gospel. Um, and really, it's not your job to convert folks. It's your job to share the gospel live a life that glorifies God and to let God bear that fruit in that sharing the gospel. So share it with your friends. Talk to them about Jesus. Read scripture with them if they'll let you do it. I mean, it's becoming more and more hostile to do that, but do it anyway, you know, if, if they'll let you do it. But your job is to share Christ, not, not to make converts. We're to make disciples and to share Christ. Um, so we live to glorify God by speaking and sharing the gospel of Christ. We look to Jesus, and we share Jesus. The best way to do this is to know God, to love God, and to live with God. Right? We glorify God by these other aspects to this answer. So we were created in the image of God to know Him, to love Him, and to live with Him, and to His glory. We look to Jesus, and we point others to Him. In doing so, we are being shaped more and more into His image. So as we do this this is part of our sanctification, right? We we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We grow as we live with Him, we love Him, we know Him, we share Him with others, and we live for His glory. That's how we do that. Let me close in prayer, and then we will be dismissed. Father, we thank You for this day. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You for time in it. Lord, we thank You, God, that we were created to glorify You, that we were